Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 180. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, man? I'm I'm currently looking at hardware. I'm, sh- I'm shopping. I'm in the mood for a new hosted home. A hosted home? Yeah, it's, you know, it's like the stay-at-home server, but we, I don't think we're allowed to say that anymore. So it's, you know, it's the hosted home. It's the, the vSphere host that's going to be under my desk. So... Um, you know, I, I got to get a new host. I'm going to get Your the home latest. Lab? Yeah. Home lab. I'm going to get the new, the newest vSphere version, put it on there. It's going to be ready to go. Oh yeah. You, you, you upgrade. Don't you already have a home lab though? You just need to upgrade that one or are you buying new gear? I'm buying new gear for it. My, my old stuff's kind of old, you know, the, the pies are good, but you can only run so much on it. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm wanting some more power and some more capabilities and half of that's the hardware. Half of that's the software. Nice. Are you going to use VLCM to upgrade your, uh, your ESXi's? Host? Uh, yeah. So I'm definitely shopping from the short list of the uh, four vendors that support that. So, <laughs> so you're going <laughs> to... Nice, nice. So are you, are you going to have a nice HPE uh, server sitting under your desk or a Dell? Or <laughs> Well, HP's got that really nice micro. Um, Dell's got some small stuff too. You also got Lenovo and, and Hitachi. So um, I don't know. I got a couple options. Nice, nice. Well, John, you know, I definitely want to hear more about your home lab and all the money you're spending um, since you're sitting home quarantined and you're just buying all this new gear. But let's do that later. Why don't we inter- introduce our guest? Uh, our, he's he's an old friend of the show. I mean, he's not an old person. He's just an old friend of the show. Uh, Niels Hogord. Niels, welcome back. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm not sure if 40 is considered being old. If, <laughs> if, if so, then yes, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, well, Niels, thanks for joining us again. Um, you know, it's launch time, and uh, man, vSphere just came out with vSphere 7 Update 2, and there's a ton to talk about there. So much so that we're going to break this into a couple of different episodes. Uh, we're, we'll focus more on the Tanzu later, uh, but I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on some of the other updates in vSphere 7 Update 2. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds great. There's, uh, again, even though it's it's just, air quotes, just a, uh, a update release, there's a ton of new features and capabilities. It's uh, always astonishing to see how many things, how many new things uh, we bring with each and every update release. Yeah, we were talking about this, uh, I think, when we were talking with Pete Keeler on vSAN. It's crazy how, like, I don't know, vSphere seems like you guys are on a two-a-year uh, cadence release, That's which is pretty aggressive. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But uh, I, I like it. It's uh, each and every six uh, months or, or so bringing a new update release, working towards uh, major releases as well. There's so much development going on. Um, makes our, our life uh, and work interesting as well, right? Yeah. And you would think that if uh, you're doing this every six months that, you know, the releases would be light. But that has not been the case. <laughs> they've been uh, they've been pretty large. Yeah, they, they, they've been pretty packed, definitely. Uh, obviously, with vSphere 7, uh, we introduced things like vSphere Tanzu, VLCM, and all of these update uh, releases build upon that. But 
even though if next to those capabilities, there's so much more new stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. So why don't we talk a little bit about vSphere 7 Update 2? I mean, there's a ton there, but I, I would say that probably the, the first thing I'd love to talk about is some of the updates as it pertains to uh, the partnership with NVIDIA and GPU. Yeah, definitely. Probably one of the most uh, most exciting, uh, exciting announcements um, in, uh, in vSphere 7 Update 2. And well, we've all heard about what we've done with NVIDIA in, uh, at the last VMworld even though it was virtual. Um, and we now see basically the two companies coming together to build that full stack AI ML offering for customers. And uh, 7 Update 2 is definitely a, a foundational release uh, uh, in that area. So you might have seen that already, but with 7 Update 2, we now support that new Ampere family of GPUs, the, the, the new flagship offerings of uh, NVIDIA, which is um, yeah. we, uh, we now have the A100 GPU um, and the, the A10 and A40. Um, and just to give you a rough idea, the A100 GPU, that is about double the performance of a Tesla V100, which was the uh, previous flagship offering. So even on the GPU side, and it's, it's, it's going hard <laughs> when, when you look at performance numbers and what those uh, GPU devices are capable of doing. It's, it's insane. Well, and just to detour a bit and to talk about the hardware the density on some of the hosts for GPU is kind of crazy with these like four double wide or six single slot GPUs. Like it's, you know, the the amount of thermal density, if you're building out a data center for AIML, this is something that you're going to need some serious power and cooling. Um, this is this is particularly looking at some of these new designs people are doing as they're getting ready for these capabilities and the, these GPUs. This is uh, this is some fun. Hardware is fun again. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And especially to that point, John, if you look at some of the new offerings, uh, for example, with, uh, with Dell EMC, where you now have hosts or, or cases, basically, where you can uh, easily provide four to eight GPUs in one box, that's, there, there's a ton of options. And, and like you mentioned, hardware is cool again. It's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely interesting to see uh, how, how fast uh, developments are going for GPUs, but not only for GPUs, for processors as well, just regular CPUs, uh, what we've done on, uh, did on that front as well. It's it's pretty cool. But bringing that back to NVIDIA and what we've done for uh, vSphere 7 Update 2, because we are here to talk about 7 Update 2, right? Um, it's pretty cool that we now have uh, support for multi-instance GPU. You might have seen Migs, this already. Migs. Migs, got, exactly, I, I, exactly. I, I, yeah, I feel like we're we're dealing with the Soviets, and I'm watching Top Gun again. I keep seeing Mig <laughs> everywhere, like, upside down. Yeah, giving him the uh, the international message. <laughs> yeah, no, but this is great, right? Uh, we've we've all been working with vGPU profiles, um, not only for AI ML, but also uh, for for carving up GPUs for VDI deployments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so, with Mig, that, that that was always focused on screen buffer only right so there wasn't really a a internal internal isolation other than that reserved or whatever scheduler option you choose uh, time you slicing for. i think is what we did before right we would time slice the cpu and then hard reserve the the memory buffers right is what we used to do on the the gpus yeah um, so how is mig different than that what is what is different well, it was primarily focused around screen buffer. So you assign a, a certain amount of screen buffer to one specific profile, and that profile gets consumed by workloads, right? With MIG, what we now have is a feature that basically isolates the complete internal hardware path. 
So that's not only uh, that's not only screen buffer, but that's the SysPy uh, level two caches. But more importantly, so the streaming multiprocessors, basically that containing all the cores of of that specific GPU. So you now assign a number of uh, a number of GPU cores plus memory and all the internals of a GPU exclusively to one workload, right? So, so this this is a hard partitioning. So this is going to be like on on a NIC in par or LPAR if we get back to mainframes, like a hard L, hard zone yeah, LPAR. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. Okay. And and the net uh, result obviously being far more predictable when it comes to uh, performance. Well, the, the latency should should basically at that point it'll be like SROV or something. Like it's just gonna you, it'll feel like you've got a a you know if you've chopped it up into eight sub GPUs, it's gonna be like you really have eight GPUs. There's not gonna be any additive latency or anything. I'm guessing. Exactly, exactly. And and to a good point, it is really just like SROV for Nix. So SRIOV for GPUs, <laughs> we'll just call that multi-instance GPU. <laughs> yeah. Well, and from a... You're just making up terms, aren't you? <laughs> as we go. Yep. Well, I guess it shows also the different use case of going from VDI to really, you know, intense science stuff that you'd get really bad, noisy neighbor problems with otherwise. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's also good to mention. Uh, with the first release of uh, MIG multi-instance GPU support with FISA 7 Update 2, that is really about AIML, so computational workloads, not necessarily graphics. That's not supported with MIG just yet. That might be in the pipeline, but for now, the focus is on computational workloads with MIG. Oh, okay. But that, that, that could be exciting, though, because then, you know, VDI could no longer be about just good enough. It could be about some pretty intense stuff there, so, yeah. Yeah, the AI uh, use cases have been pretty exciting, and uh, I can see the, the demand for resources in this area. So this this makes perfect sense for for a, a U2 release. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And when we talk about AI ML, um, I do want to point out that next to the Vs for seven uh, six, uh, seven update two release, we also released Bitfusion three um, Ah, okay. So there's a lot going on on uh, making sure that we have an even better platform for everything AIML for all the data scientists. So Bitfusion allows me to use potent, you know, potentially RDMA um, uh, for transport to redirect to remote GPUs. So that way I can, my, my workload that's on one host can use idle resources in other hosts, correct? Um, yes, <laughs> there is definitely a remote GPUs. Uh, uh, that, that is the, uh, the key thing about Bitfusion, right? So you have the client running on a host on a, on a, within a virtual machine on a host that is not equipped with a GPU, and you reach out to a Bitfusion server where you actually have a GPU locally to that server, and you execute AIML workloads over a network fabric to the server VM. The, the calculations will be done, and you'll get the results back. Essentially, and that's nice. using a driver ingest, or is that using a a spoofed hardware device that's intercepting those CUDA calls? Well, that is the magic of Bitfusion, right? It does intercept uh, those CUDA calls um, and and remote them to the Bitfusion server. So, how that exactly is done? There's a couple of more things done with Bitfusion as well. It's not only capturing and intercepting those CUDA calls. It's also a little bit about prioritization uh, across the network fabric. We can bundle together some CUDA calls, if that makes sense, to the Bitfusion logic. So there's a little bit more magic going on. But yeah, that's the, that's the, the main goal, to be maybe even more f uh, flexible in use, utilizing GPU resources. Okay, that's, uh, that's nice, pretty nice. cool. Uh, so what's new with AMD, though? 
Yeah, uh, along the same line, Speed, uh, with the um, partnership that we have with NVIDIA, we uh, also did a lot of work uh, with AMD. Um, and we do, seems, uh, do see some traction with AMD and customers uh, trust in AMD. Oh, and yeah. from our side, there was still a lot of improvement to be done uh, from a scheduling perspective. Because the AMD Epic uh, CPU packages, they have a pretty unique way of uh, how they set up NUMA nodes, dice, uh, last level caches, etc. I think you uh, you talked to uh, to our dear friend uh, Frank uh, Frank Deniman that about that quite extensively uh, in previous episodes. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, the the, the in 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 essence uh, the the vSphere scheduler um, had a lot of improvements in them uh, with seven update two for AMD Epic specific uh, CPU packages, and that is all about how we balance workloads across NUMA nodes um, and how we intercept or how we work with last level caches. So in the end, there's a lot of optimizations going on. Um, too much for me to 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 keep track of even. So we now have our performance team that is actually working on quite an extensive white paper on everything AMD scheduling, what we did from a CPU and NUMA scheduling perspective to make AMD Epic processes even better with vSphere. I was going to say, I looked nice. at some of this from the vSAN benchmark side. Um, the improvements were very solid. I wouldn't be, if I was deploying Epic today, I would immediately be going to update two. Um, it looks specifically like some of the optimizations for the, you mentioned the unique NUMA architecture, having multiple NUMA nodes on die. You've got the infinity fabric, which is fast, but if you can avoid playing ping pong across the infinity fabric for, you know, multiple threaded um, processes, you can definitely improve performance quite a lot. Um, and it looks like the, the scheduler yeah. definitely got some, some multi-layer awareness there in a much, in a much better way. I know it makes sense because it's just code, but I always find it fascinating that you can just do like a, a simple upgrade like this and get performance gains from the, from the hardware that you already paid for. Yeah, yeah, it is quite astonishing. And in the end, a piece of hardware is only as good as the software running on top of it, I guess. Yep. It's, yeah, that's for it's, sure. It's kind of like if I bought a lawnmower that suddenly with like, oh, twice a year there's updates for it and suddenly it's 30% faster. Um, not that I necessarily need a faster lawnmower, you know, but you know, it's... <laughs> Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. You know, although that is where I listen to most of my podcasts when I'm mowing. So maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll keep my slower mower. Pete, you just need to you need to invoke your inner Pat and listen to podcasts at you know two x speed. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I can I can only do that on some podcasts because you know when you get Frank Dennerman talking about Numa nodes, it's <laughs> I need to I need to slow that down to point five so I can fully uh, you know, absorb <laughs> everything he's saying. Yeah, that would be interesting. I would argue that nobody could understand that specific topic if they're running it two times, three times as fast. I do imagine how Frank yeah. would sound like if you played like five times as fast and talk in Numa. That's, it would actually yeah. just convert straight into Dutch at that point, I think. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, we digress. All right, moving along. Let's talk some operations. Lots of things happening in the vSphere world. Now, we had a vSAN episode, and we talked a little bit about um, VLCM, which is obviously vSphere, uh, but works with v with vSAN. So why don't we talk a little bit about high level? What what are some of the updates in with as it pertains to VLCM uh, in vSphere 7 Update 2? Oh, yeah. Uh, again, tons of updates on that part. Um, obviously, we had vSphere 7 uh, GA where we uh, where we launched VLCM, uh, vSphere Lifecycle Manager. Uh, so along those lines, and you talked about that as well, right? We supported more and more hardware integrations, firmware integrations with, uh, with our uh, vendor OEM partners. 
But from a feature perspective, uh, uh, with 7 Update 1, we already included support for NSXT, uh, which was a great, great way of uh, also helping NSXT making sure that it is using the VLCM logic to update update all of the, oh, yeah. the, the host components, right? And we extended that uh, to, uh, with, to vSert uh, with Tanzu as well. Uh, so Tanzu is now perfectly supported on VLCM-enabled clusters, but yeah. VLCM also helps to ship some of the Tanzu uh, kernel modules uh, to the ESX iOSs. So that's one. Um, and I kind of like uh, kind of like what we did and uh, listening to customer feedback as well uh, in how you set up new clusters, right? We used to have options to to export a VLCM desired state configuration from one cluster uh, to to be used for multiple or, or other clusters, right? Uh, because the cluster you set it up first, and then then you export what you set up, and then you can use that on other clusters, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because the cluster is the boundary for VLCM, um, and yeah, while we did provide uh, these options, um, we now with 7 Update 2 enhance that even further and now have some some of those options in the UI as well. So we used to be able to export that configuration into a JSON file imported into, into target clusters. But now whenever you spin up a new cluster, we can um, uh, pinpoint basically to an existing host in the vCenter inventory or just from a new host that you just have connected yeah. to vCenter server and just utilize that that configuration as a desired state config. Um, That's really smart. Yeah. yeah it, I, saw, it, it, I saw that in the UI when I was deploying it. I was like, yes, because I already have one host exactly how I wanted it. I'm like, all of you, follow follow him. Do it. Do what he does. <laughs> like. Exactly. Makes, makes life easier, right? Because in the end, VLCM and and what we did on that part, uh, it's all about reducing manual effort, basically, right? Uh, and this is a, definitely a great time saver. No no uh, time wasted on exporting configurations. Just pinpoint to this configuration, use that, and be done with it. Oh yeah, another one I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but I think is interesting is the uh, the new options in Bootstrap. Yes, definitely, definitely, and especially for uh, for greenfield scenarios, uh, I think it's yeah. really exciting that you can now install vCenter server using a single node vSAN cluster. Is it a cluster if it's only a single node? Well, a chicken and egg problem. It is really that chicken and egg problem, right? That we're solving. Right. Well, no, so, you do make a valid point, though, in that um, some of these functions, uh, VLCM, or not, not VLCM, but I know the native key provider, they only work at a cluster level. So if you are going to create a standalone host, you should just go ahead and create a cluster object. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, with these new, uh, new uh, vSAN and vCenter server bootstrap capabilities, Again, makes life easier if you're just setting up a new greenfield scenario and 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 basically solve that chicken and egg problem that we had before. Yep, yep. A lot less clicks, a lot less uh, options for mistake. <laughs> just get it right in the bootstrap. Just sit there and enable VLCM right on the spot. And then, yeah. And then once you have your cluster up, as John mentioned earlier, you could just point to that one host and say, hey, be like him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is probably giving people a lot of flashbacks who had, you know, older siblings. Of, Why aren't you like your older siblings? <laughs> like yeah. That, if only you could kinda, do that, right? Just point to him and I, be like him. <laughs> yeah. That's my, my, every, everyone who's had parents who told you to be like someone. Yeah. That's what VLCM can do. You can now impose all of your own, uh, you know, historical anxieties on your cluster. So. <laughs> Exactly. So, so there's one other feature here that looks really interesting. Um, the suspend a memory. What is what is the history here? What is the evolution of this this capability? 
yeah, definitely an interesting uh, interesting new capability. Um, for those not familiar, if you have a VLCM-enabled cluster, you have, like you used to have before with vSphere Update Manager, you have remediation settings, right? Uh, basically telling, telling Lifecycle Manager what we need to do with workloads uh, on on clusters that are uh, and uh, and hosts that are being remediated, right? Um, so we typically had VM power states because that's what we're talking about, um, and by default that is set to do not change power state, basically implying that you would utilize vMotion to live migrate those workloads off of that host, put it into maintenance mode, and do the remediation. Um, we had other options to spend to disk and power off. Well, power off. Typically, customer like uh, like their applications uh, being live and powered on, so that wasn't really popular. Suspend to disk was already a step in the right direction, but suspend to memory makes that same logic so much more faster. Um, yeah, yeah. So in the end, it is about reducing ESXi host upgrade time, and I think it's a pretty interesting topic because a large portion of our customers are, are used to live migrating virtual machines away from hosts, right? Um, sure, yeah. And there were some some concerns with specific workload characteristics, uh, workload sizings that vMotion wouldn't cut it in under one second, for example. Now, obviously, we have uh, improved the vMotion logic in vSphere 7, 7 Update uh, 1, and Update 2 even as well. Um, yeah. So we reduced that performance impact during stun time and that that switch over time. Um, so the 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 other thing here is I'm thinking, you know, from the the suspended memory, what this looks like is if you've ever taken a memory snapshot, which not everyone has. That's a, a weird option, but to where you basically stun the virtual machine with the running memory state. So when you put the VM into that suspended memory state, with the memory being, you know, basically stopped where it was, it'll look like when the VM resumes, like it just jumped in time. Um, so the VM will wake up exactly where it was and then hopefully check the clock and say, okay, what time is it? Oh, I've, I've, you know, done a bit of sleeping, but, <laughs> yeah. but that way, you know, if you've got applications that have a very long spin up, if you've got, uh, I'm thinking like NoSQL, like Cassandra, um, in memory databases that just take a long time to, to refill, so to speak, um, patching could be really slow. And particularly as we started oh, yeah. looking at, you know, a terabyte of RAM in a host in some cases. Um, I mean, 100 gigs fast, but it ain't that fast. So no, uh, Exactly. And that, that was to my point with vMotion as well, right? Yes, vMotion has improved a lot. But for these kind of workloads you just mentioned, John, it could probably, it's probably more Hana. efficient. <laughs> yeah, it's probably more efficient to suspend to memory, just do the remediation and resume those workloads. Um, but obviously... That, that comes with some, well, not constraints, but some planning. Well, there's, right? a, there's an outage for that virtual machine. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the elephant in the room. Suspended memory is exactly. not completely rebootless yet. Um, but the advantage here is, is, you know, if it was going to take you an hour and a half to drain a host, and now it takes you, you know, 15 minutes or, or, three, or two minutes instead of, you know, 15. If you have a scale-out workload, like a lot of these NoSQL databases are, or if this is a branch site, like I'm thinking your retail, um, let's say Pete owns a, uh, a toupee store chain that's got a thousand locations and he wants to uh, patch them all. Um, maybe it's after hours. And so he doesn't really care if the VM stuns, but he doesn't want to have to babysit all the VMs rebooting and make sure that they come back. Um, this would be a way to for, for whoever the poor eyes on glass guy is doing those upgrades to, to do it in a fast way. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I think, like you mentioned, the, the the big elephant in the room is is that downtime. 
Um, but if you have off hours and you don't care uh, that much about application availability on that specific host, this is a great option. Uh, because with yeah. vMotion, we tend to forget that we need to live migrate that workload off of that, uh, that host. But once it's remediated and exiting maintenance mode, we need DRS to rebalance those workloads and move them to that host again as well, right? Well, and, oh, yeah. and what about workloads that couldn't vMotion? So let's say you're a telco and you're obsessed with SRIOV, even though you probably should have moved past it you know, years ago. The new malware drivers are really that good. But you've got some things that just can't vMotion anyway. So you, 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 had a, you, know, you had high availability at the app layer, but you would have powered off before. Now you've got a faster middle, you know, a faster middle state. Exactly. Perfect example of uh, where suspend to memory is helping, and we're and we're only talking about hypervisor restarts, right? So it's it's going to be quicker than, well, than it, a typical server restart. Well, correct? in in the end, it is suspend to memory, right? And doing a power cycle tends to flush memory uh, because it's not for persistent memory. What we're talking about, just global system RAM. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's definitely depending on Quick Boot being enabled. Quick Boot, like you mentioned, uh, we released that in six point seven update one, um, and it. Is, basically a way of restarting the vSphere kernel without doing that full power cycle of that host. Yeah. So from a requirement Much basis, faster. go check the QuickBoot HCL, which is basically KBs for each of the vendors. Um, that does have a, a restricted hardware list, but it has gotten a lot bigger. It used to be like DL380 and an R730 or something, and that was it, but it's expanded a lot. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at the release notes of not even the, the only the uh, 7GA version or the update releases, but also the, all the patch releases, when you see the release notes, you'll notice that we include all of the new uh, new hosts that are now capable and supported with QuickBoot as well. So good chance if you uh, if you now have a host, uh, a, a modern host, that it is actually already supported with QuickBoot. So we've talked a lot about how to avoid vMotion. Let's talk about what's making vMotion better and why you should maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, did I say that suspend to memory was one of my favorite features? I say that about every feature and capability, probably. But they're all in the, the end. The, the, you, you, wait, you don't have one ho you don't have one feature that's your favorite, and you want all the other features to be like it. Yeah. This, <laughs> Well, in the end, vMotion, I do have a soft spot for vMotion still. I've, I've been talking uh, about vMotion forever, and luckily there was a lot to talk about uh, with Feast for 7, 7 Update 1. Uh, but with Feast for 7 Update 2, we did some work on vMotion as well, luckily. Um, and that was primarily a, a, an ask of uh, customers of ours that are already running 25 gig, 40, 100 gig even. Um, especially 25 gig, that's sort of mainstream today, right? It's it's 25 is the new 10, 10 gig, I would if, argue. If you're deploying 10 gig networking, net new, NICs, or switches in 2021, <laughs> you are making yeah. John sad. And if your networking <laughs> team wants to do that, this is an open call. Lost underscore signal on Twitter, reach out to me. I will come on a conference call and yell at your networking team and, and basically make them feel uncomfortable with, with the life decisions that have led to a 10 gig being on a bomb. So anyways, back to it. Well, <laughs> there you go, folks. <laughs> Call John to help you out with your 10 gig networks. Now, shame, 25 gigs. It, well, luckily, I've seen uh, uh, some, some prices. I'm not uh, that heads down into a, a, a component pricing, but I believe 25 gig is even cheaper than 10 gigs nowadays in uh, for selected vendors. So that's definitely going in the right direction. Um, but yeah, so prior to Visa 7 Update 2, uh, we weren't really able to saturate 25 gig or higher networks out of the box. 
right? Femotion is great in and all of its logic that has been updated, but it was sort of constrained on using uh, only 15 gigs uh, of, of bandwidth that was assigned to the physical NIC that is serving the VM kernel interface that is enabled for vMotion. And that has everything to do with how we set up uh, vMotion streams, right? So we have some some deep dive material on core.vmware.com about this. We uh, When you look at the stream architecture for vMotion, Basically, that's consisting of a completion helper, uh, a crypto helper, and a stream helper. Well, completion helper is there to, to support the vMotion process, in essence. Uh, we have the crypto helper, if you're using encrypted vMotion, and the stream helper. And that is the important one when we talk about this new capability, because that is actually the helper that is putting the data on the wire, right? Um, yep. But to push data on the wire, we need CPU cycles. So one stream helper in the vMotion stream architecture is utilizing one CPU core. And that is can be a constraint uh, constraint um, um, by how many gigs you're able to push out bandwidth to, right? So we used to have manual options to spin up multiple streams per VM kernel interface. Or the easy way was probably to instantiate multiple VM kernel interfaces on your host but then you would need more IP addresses and a lot of more operational uh, effort, et cetera. So um, luckily we decided to make life easier for our customers. So with 7 Update 2, there's no more manual tuning uh, involved. Out of the box, vMotion detects what bandwidth is running its vMotion vMotion enabled VM kernel interfaces and just spin up the number of helpers depending on the bandwidth that you're using on the underlying NICs. And the vMotion auto scaling that only works for twenty five, forty, and a hundred, right? Uh, y- y- yes. Um, well, you don't need it, it for one gig, though. You know, so. No, in the end, one <laughs> one uh, on average, obviously, one vMotion stream is capable of processing fifteen, one five gigs um, of bandwidth. So it's easy to saturate ten gig NIC, right? Uh, with oh, twenty five, yeah. that already becomes a challenge. Um, especially if you have those those set up uh, exclusively for Femotion, for example, like some of the customers do, uh, because then you would already need to, uh, need to to Vmotion streams, right? Same with 40, you need multiple or even more helpers, and I believe you need like 10 or uh, sorry, seven Vmotion uh, stream helpers to saturate a 100 gig. Uh, Nick. And then at that point, you start to come into other challenges as well, because now you have seven stream helpers, but those are all utilizing CPU cycles to push that data on the wire. So now you're consuming a lot of CPU as well. So ideally, we have the same thing going on as we do for vSAN, which is RDMA support for vMotion. But that's something for the future. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. By the, by the way, I did check. It is $270 on the NVIDIA store for a 2x25 gig RDMA capable NIC. Yeah, those things go. are... It's no longer $800 to get a, a yeah. decent 10 gig NIC with good offloads. It's This is uh, some pretty, pretty affordable stuff. Exactly. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Moving along, I know we're, we're running out of time here. I did want to cover, there is another feature on uh, vSphere 7 Update 2 that was interesting. Um, something that's been a, a huge ask for customers for a while, and that is the vSphere native key provider. Yes, definitely. That That is probably one of the uh, most anticipated or most popular new feature with uh, 7 Update oh, yeah. 2. Definitely. And, um, well, I think you should talk to uh, one of my colleagues about that to, to, to get a more 
in detail, in-depth, detailed information about it. But it's definitely interesting to see that we now out of the box uh, provide a, a, a key provider. So you don't necessarily need a key management service or KMS um, uh, next to vSphere, right? Um, but I know that my colleague Bob Lankerswirl argued that you still would because it's the, the, the native key provider that we provide with 7Update 2, it's, it's not a KMS in itself, right? Ah, okay. So there is some nuances uh, uh, to when to use it, when to not use it. But overall, it is a something that we now natively provide with vSphere 7 Update 2, and that is definitely useful for uh, customers and far more easy for them to now start using uh, encryption, for example, right? Making it far more easy to, to enable vSAN encryption, VM encryption, vTPM, you name it. Nice. Yeah. And like you said, we'll get a we'll get a deeper dive. We need to get Bob Plankers on, John. Must find the Plankers. <laughs> <laughs> plankers. This is a public call for you to come on the podcast and dive deep on vSphere 7 update two. <laughs> so b- before we before we land this plane, uh, one one small feature that I thought was kind of nifty and was like, I could think of some use cases for that was the uh, the guest store. Yes. That is an interest, and exactly like you mentioned, right? There's uh, tons of possibilities there, um, but I'm not able to to fully grasp its its potential. I guess <laughs> maybe that's me. Maybe that's uh, me not having uh, worked uh, too much with uh, that new capability just yet. But the ability to to sort of like an internal content delivery network system, a, a CD, sort of like an internal CDN to push out scripts, for example, or or utilities using VM tools to the virtual machines, that is a pretty strong capability. Well, and what I think is kind of, again, nifty here is that this allows out-of-band delivery of configuration. And, you know, particularly if you work with air gap or isolated networks, this is a way to push tools into them uh, from the hypervisor without having to bridge something or use um, what I call as uh, John's questionable USB drive, where I basically would... <laughs> You know, create a VMDK, attach it to something not in the secure network, load the data in, detach, then go move it in, you know, things like that. So this is a way, but from, if you think of like config management tools, things like salt and stuff like that, being able to use that, um, that, that VM tools provided share to find those configuration guidelines, this is a way to reliably and out of band, um, push for automation tooling again something like salt uh, you could push the commands out so help me out john i have this is new to me so this is a share that has all the configuration information that you point to for for your vms so it's a it's 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 basically you, let's vm tools mount a share that the hosts have access to so rather than coming in over the front end network like you would normally mount like an smb share off of vsan file services or something this is yeah. a tool that is delivered out of band through the hypervisor um so and then this you can make this share accessible to multiple guests so if i've got 10 linux hosts that i need to configure Normally, I would have to open up SSH or, or or have them mount an NFS share or something externally and then tell them, hey, you'll get your config updates from here. This is even more secure in the fact that I can set up this config share from the hosts uh, on a data. St- I think it's a data store is what you mount to deliver it. Um, yeah, definitely. I can, yeah, you, you basically create a share path on a data store and say, okay, this is where... I, I want you to mount this in. And so it's the host doing the mounting out of band in that case. So the guest doesn't need to open any ports. It doesn't need to open any client connections. Um, all it needs is just VM tools. 
Ah, sweet. Exactly. And and we do have some some customers of ours that solve this with additional systems next to vSphere. So obviously, again, increasing complexity and, and, and operational overhead. So it's kind of cool that we now can do the same thing with vSphere and, and VM tools. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, we are running out of time, Niels. Uh, I think that's a pretty good quick update on what's happening in vSphere 7 Update 2. Uh, I'm going to leave links on the show notes of the podcast with uh, some really good blog posts, as I mentioned. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk Tanzu, which is a big part of this release, in another episode. Uh, and we're going to get some other folks on to talk about that. Um, but Niels, uh, I'm going to give you the last word. Anything anything else about vSphere 7 Update 2 or any any closing thoughts on this update before we take off? Oh, man, we, uh, we just uh, scratched the surface. There's still so many capabilities that we did not talk about just yet. Uh, but like you mentioned, in the links, core.vmware.com is probably the most important one. Uh, we'll be pushing out content, uh, detailed technical content around all the new capabilities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. vCenter server REST APIs, like you said, support with Tanzu. We didn't even cover all the updates in vSphere Lifecycle Manager. There's there's more there. Uh, lots of really good stuff, as I mentioned. It's a jam-packed update. We'll leave links on the show notes, as I mentioned. It's awesome. John, anything else before for Niels before we go? No, I just need to... I'll have to reach out to him offline for some tips on VLCM as I'm getting this set up here. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I look forward to seeing your progress on your on your update, man. Niels, thanks so much, man. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Always a pleasure. All right. Well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at vmware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Mr. Niels Hagord for talking all about vSphere 7 Update 2. We're back next time, but until then, bye for now. Enough of this jibber-jabber. <laughs>